Welcome to the UALC podcast. I am Brody Taphorn. I am here with co-host Andrea Taphorn. And today is part three of a conversation on racial injustice. Our conversation partners are Mindy Erdman and Pastor Steve Turnbull. And we have looked at this topic from a biblical perspective and a societal perspective. Today we talk about how can we fight racial injustice practically? And so let's listen in on our conversation as we look at what are the practical things that Christians can do to fight against racism? Mindy, I have so appreciated your insights on this, but there is a part of this conversation that I'm just aching to get to, and that is the very pragmatic uh, response that we ought to have as disciples of Jesus to a situation that we find ourselves in societally right now. And I'm wondering, what, what, are, what are positive responses? What are ways that we can... Uh, give ourselves to fight against injustices. Would you speak to us a little bit about uh, what you might counsel somebody in your congregation uh, to do in light of uh, racial injustices? Yeah, I, this is a little hard to answer because often when I answer this question for people, they don't like my answer, I give, um, because it doesn't feel like enough. But as we've been saying, as white people especially, we just are not aware of how much we have to learn. And so learning and listening is what we need to do. Um, I, we, the four of us talked earlier about how this, it feels a little strange for four white people to be talking about race because we all recognize the fact that we must be learning from people of color. We must be listening to their wisdom and knowledge. Um, I think a big shift that I saw happen or that I didn't see happen in some cases with some of the people I've worked with is for white privileged people, we, we often feel like the, what needs to happen is we need to help other people. But that's continuing a, a, a legacy of sort of patronizing and putting ourselves above that we have help to give and putting ourselves in a position of we need to receive help from people. Um, you know, having that posture of humility and that posture of I don't know the answers. People who look like me don't know the answers. Like in Act 6, it's the people who are experiencing this who have the most wisdom to share. So so having a posture of humility and a posture of of wanting to learn. And one thing we we should learn about as white people is what whiteness is and and what um, you, you may have heard this phrase that, you know, race is a social construct and people don't quite understand what that means. But um, the only thing that makes us white is that at some point in our history, someone in U.S. history, um, being white was laid out legally that you had in order to own property, you have to be white. In order to do this, you have to be white. And so some history I didn't know is that throughout U.S. history, there, there were immigrants coming from Western Europe and Eastern Europe who had to go to court to prove they were white because they wanted to own property or they wanted this or that. And at one point, Irish people weren't considered white or Hungarian people weren't considered white. But there are court cases you can go back and read where they had to fight to become white. And so understanding how that has worked historically 
is, um, is very important. There's a, a resource I'd highly recommend called Be the Bridge. It's a Facebook group, but they also have a website and some resources and they have what, I don't know if they still call it this, but it used to be called Whiteness 101, which was sort of a, a great succinct <laughs> curriculum to understand what whiteness is and how it works. Many, I appreciate that so much because that um, the first time I heard race is a social construct, I remember going, I, I don't understand that claim. It looks to me like even though we have some different shades of skin tone among white people or among black people, my first reaction, the first time I heard that years ago was, I guess I thought I could just see it with my own eyes. What do you mean it's a social construct? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done a little bit of the same reading that you did. There's an article that not that long ago, a few months ago, six months ago, that I read um, about sort of the, the struggle for Italian people to be considered white. Uh, and that yeah. some of the same racial, there's some different racial slurs, uh, but some of the same racial slurs that were applied to people of African descent were being applied to people of Italian descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and best as I understand it, even the institution of Columbus Day was part of sort of the um, olive branch given to Italians to welcome them into the white community. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, yeah, that is a, that's a mind bender at first. Like there's just so much that, um, is hard to understand when we hear those things for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we often, um, under, as you understand, begin to understand whiteness, you begin to understand some of the distinctive values or, or characteristics of white culture that again, we just think is normal. We just think it's the best way. And, um, one of those is, is sort of this efficiency at fixing thing. Like we want things to be fixed. And so I think the reason a lot of white people don't like my answer is that they want, like, tell me what to do mm-hmm. so I can fix this. I couldn't um, resist myself. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that is sometimes you're making me feel guilty and tell me what I can do so I don't have to feel guilty anymore about being white. Um, but nobody is saying we should feel guilty for being white. Um, well, and that, that that can go into like there's a lot we can discuss there. Um, just white guilt is is very real, and we tend to when racism comes up, when white supremacy comes up, we can get defensive and feel like, you know, I don't I don't want to feel guilty about this. Um, I've heard a few people say there's a difference between culpability and responsibility. Um, we may be able to say we're not culpable for. The systemic racism that exists, but we're responsible for doing something about it now that we know it exists as, as we learn. So having that um, that sense of responsibility, but also that sense of humility that I there are people that have been doing this work for decades or longer, you know. Um, I've I've recently read some things from Martin Luther King that I had not read before. Um, where do we go from here, chaos or community? That book was written decades ago, and I thought this is so helpful. Like it's so practical. It's so um, it. I, I, it was. It surprised me because I thought we still see all these same problems. But he was writing about this in the '60s, and we haven't changed. Nothing's changed. Um, I think even this may be a controversial subject right now. But this whole idea of defunding the police or uh, or those kinds of things, we're we're hearing we're hearing about that for the first time. But there have been people studying this and understanding this for years. Um, so we, if we can put ourselves in a place of humility and say, there are people who know more than we do mm-hmm. about what's happening. Maybe I should listen to them. Maybe I should have that curiosity. Um, 
I think that's probably the most important thing we can do is, is start to have that humility and learn. And then slow, may, maybe slowly, maybe not start to speak up. <laughs> um, I think that's the, the when, I, when I see my black brothers and sisters asking for white people to do something, it's, it's learn, it's listen, and it's speak up to your family, speak up to your church. Um, ask questions about why people make the assumptions they do, have those really hard conversations. Um, Mindy, why, tell our listeners, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking about that is just like, one of the things you hear a lot is, um, I don't see color. Mm. Tell me why from a, you know, from a whiteness perspective, why is that a really unhelpful thing, to be honest, harmful? Yeah, it is harmful. Um, It, First, there's God has created us diverse for a reason. We have, you know, the, the we're different parts of one body, and we there are things that people who aren't like us. Um, if we say I don't see color, then you're not seeing that whole part of how God has made you. And it's not only the skin color or the physical features; it's the whole experience of your community and your culture. And um, there are beautiful things in every culture, every ethnic culture. Um, that we should celebrate because they reveal something to us about who God is that we aren't gonna see if we're only looking at our own culture. Um, And the other thing, I I saw a great picture, an image that captured this so well. It was um, some signs people were holding at a protest and one said, um, the title was, when we don't see color and it was a bunch of little white or gray boxes, all pretty much the same white and gray. Um, But it was, divided up into um, number of people killed by police, number of, you know, number of people um, living in poverty, number of people. And then the second one was um, when we don't see race on the first one, or when we don't see color on the first one, we miss the patterns was what was on the second one. And that one had skin tones on the boxes to show how dis- how disparate the numbers were, that the darker skin tones were more likely to be under, um, you know, the, the more negative outcomes. So that when we mm. don't pay attention to color, we don't see the patterns. We don't see that it tends to be people of color proportionally who are more likely to be um, brutalized by police. We don't see that um, those patterns that then we need to ask, why are we seeing these patterns? What's causing this? Um, yeah, those are just two reasons, I, I think, being colorblind. It, it, it dismisses a huge part of our identity. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, Minnie, yeah. if you could kind of take down another one of those misnomers. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, when I first was exposed to the Black Lives Matter movement, my first instinct was to say, well, don't all lives matter? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to before I realized that my insistence on saying something as simple as like, well, no, 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 all lives matter actually uh, was causing pain. I'm wondering if you could help our listeners uh, understand a a couple of these things. You mentioned uh, the issue of defunding police. Like my first instinct was, well, that doesn't make sense. And then I listened to what people actually mean by that term. Can you help our listeners understand things like why saying something like all lives matter actually uh, contributes to the problem rather than solving a problem? Yeah, I think it's in some ways that all lives matter is similar to the being colorblind. We, we um, 
I've, there have been so many memes and, and, and cartoons put out about, you know, showing one house on fire, but the police are, are spraying every house with water because mm. all houses matter. But the one that's on fire right now is, is the one that really needs it. And that's the, the idea behind Black Lives Matter is that, it, again, it's one of those things where I feel like if you don't, if you haven't learned the history or if you don't know the realities, you might not believe this, but the reality is black lives are valued less in this country. And you can see that by the way black people are treated by individuals, but also how our systems produce different outcomes for black people. They're shorter lifespan, more likely to die in childbirth, infant mortality rate is higher. All, all of these things are- COVID-19. Um, yes, right. So pointing a spotlight on the place that needs the work is makes a lot of sense in, in many other areas of our lives. Like we all understand that, but I think part of why that, why saying Black Lives Matter kind of strikes a, court, strikes a nerve for some people is, is the racial, you know, the power, the powers and principalities of race that, um, that kind of want to say, oh, no, we can't, you know, we want to hide this reality. We don't mm -hmm. want to acknowledge this reality. Um, yeah, I, and another another good meme is a, a breast cancer ribbon. Uh, you know, somebody were paying attention to breast cancer and someone else says, oh, well, all cancers matter. Like, but yeah, but <laughs> if we're trying to draw attention to one thing. Um, the powers and principalities of racism don't want us to put the spotlight there. You know, I had the same reaction that Brody had the first time, and it's been a number of years now, I can't remember where the Black Lives Matter movement started using that phrase in response to the events in Ferguson, Missouri, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I remember the same thing, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I agree that Black Lives Matter, but I feel like we're just only focusing on one thing, which of course is the whole point, but I wasn't like understanding that at first. Um, and uh, uh, Mindy and I have talked about this before. There's an article that uh, Ed Stetzer wrote that uh, used the very passage that Mindy mentioned earlier uh, about uh, the Hellenist widows in Acts chapter 6. And the church's response was a little bit like, hey, hey the Hellenist widows matter. Let's do something about this. And there could have been a, a campaign that said, you know, all widows matter. We're like, we know, they do. Um, yes. I, I'm reminded, uh, actually, of um, a couple uh, pastors here, uh, black pastors in Columbus, who I've been listening to lately. And, and one is Brian Williams, who's at Hope City House of Prayer uh, in Columbus. I've been down there uh, once or twice for events. And Brian's been on Facebook uh, and generating a lot of views and, and saying a lot of things. But he, he addressed this uh, question of Black Lives Matter uh, just in something he did a couple nights ago in a Facebook Live video. And he's, he even said there to his people, and he's speaking to a primarily African-American audience, uh, that he said, there's always been a two on the end of that phrase, uh, Black Lives Matter two. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but he said Black Lives Matter full stop period about 100 times uh, in his video because that's what feels like isn't true. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they're trying to say that too. And I, I know that I needed to, it took me a while to try to understand what was being said there. And that, that feels like that's a, a real feature of our conversation in this day and age that we keep talking past each other. We keep missing each other. And, so, and there's a lot of blame to go around for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Plenty on that. Let, let me, I, I think maybe uh, if I could say something to kind of wrap us up here a little bit. And I'll start with mentioning, listening to uh, this uh, acquaintance of mine, Pastor Brian Williams, 
the, the way that I think we're trying to listen to one another in this conversation and recognizing one of the things that is it's hard for me when I want to recommend uh, resources to people is uh, there are hardly any perfect resources, you know, and I, I guess I feel like a responsibility as a senior pastor of our church that if I'm going to recommend a resource, I feel like I'm giving it my full endorsement or something, and that's a, that's a ton of pressure, right? Um, and the, that's maybe more pressure than we should put on any of ourselves. Uh, and so what's been helpful to me is to listen to a whole variety of resources. There's there's a podcast I used to listen to. I haven't now for a couple of years, but the tagline of the podcast was, this, this is a place of built by black women for black women. And I was like, this is not probably, I am not the target audience here. But just to be able to sit and listen for a while, and doesn't mean I agree with everything that I hear, doesn't mean that Brian and I agree on everything. And it's even a, an unfair expectation that just because you're listening to a black church leader to imagine that they're speaking for the black perspective. Like all African-American people agree with this. Like nobody thinks that about white church leaders. Nobody hears me and goes like, oh, that's what white Christians think. Like, uh, That'd be pretty unrealistic. I think along those lines, there's a phrase I learned years ago that um, somebody in the church that I used to serve, uh, a dear friend of mine, in fact, uh, asked a group of us, kind of challenged us, if we, uh, if we all had the permission to love imperfectly, would we love more? Like, would we, would we take the risk to, like, learn somebody's name or invite somebody over or start a conversation, all of which we're impoverished because we're not doing but we have so much fear that we're going to like not do it right. We're not going to get the perfect answer. And so we don't do anything. And part of me just feels like if we could take off the pressure of being 100% right out of the gate, you know, like let's, let's, let's listen, let's learn, let's think critically, let's ask questions. I think that would help us a lot. And in fact, um, that I think maybe is where uh, we can even kind of land this conversation is with the um, uh, sharing that I think the next steps if I can speak to our listeners here and to anybody who cares about UALC and if you're a part of UALC in particular, the journey for us, I think, is probably not different from uh, many white Christians. And I do acknowledge the, the oddity that we've referred to once or twice that here we are, four white people, having a conversation about uh, race issues in our country. But I actually think that's a good place for us to start. And, uh, you know, I, I know another black pastor here in Columbus who's a, a friend of mine that I love dearly who shared with me um, his encouragement to do exactly this. And he said, you know, as, as, as a black Christian man, I am longing for my white Christian brothers and sisters to start having this conversation. Like, go ahead, have the conversations, ask the questions, do the work, and I want to come alongside you as your friend. But uh, he really even encourages kind of environment. So I think that's, that's helpful for us to be able to do this. Um, and, and consistent with that, I think for us, and I relate to Mindy here saying that people are often disappointed with her answer, that the answer is to listen and learn. Um, but I think that is where we have to start. We just have to start by a lot of listening and a lot of learning. Um, and, and again, that doesn't mean that everything you listen to or everything you learn from is going to have all the answers or agree with everything else that you read. But we have to, I mean, that, that, it's never been that way with any subject. And everything I learned in school was that way. I had to read and listen to a variety of things. And I think that's going to be uh, important for us. And, and, to be, and to listen to diverse voices and people of color and, and, to, and to build relationships, human relationships, or break bread together with people who come from different backgrounds and look differently uh, from how we do. And, and down the road from there, and I can't predict when, would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to ask mm-hmm. God, as, as, we've, as we have learned and we have studied Scripture and tried to understand your word to us and tried to understand your living word to us as you speak to us in the Spirit and expose our own sin and teach us, uh, then I think we get around to the place uh, down the road where we can ask, okay, so practically, 
what are there, God, are there any changes that you want us to make? And what are those changes? And I don't think there's a prescription for every church or even every person, really, that this is what anti-racist behavior will look like in every case. Uh, I think as Christians, we can believe that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. And we have uh, a uniquely Christian message that we really, it'd be a shame for us to forfeit uh, a witness to the gospel of Jesus in this. And I have no interest in that at all. Uh, But then asking the question, what piece of that victory uh, or what does that victory look like in our context? I don't know yet. I don't think any of us do. And I think we need to strive for that uh, together and and look for the leading of God's spirit uh, to us in that. Mindy, do you have any other words for us as we're wrapping up? I do. I I just have three quick things I wanted to share. One, one is that, and Steve alluded to this earlier, we're, we're going to make mistakes as white people. We're going to say something that's offensive. We're going to, um, we have our own blind spots. And my experience has been that the black community I've loved and been a part of, and my brothers and sisters in that community have had so much grace for me when I make those mistakes. And so, um, just recognize you're going to mess up and recognize that there is grace to be offered when you do. Um, Secondly, um, recognize how much of a gift it is to have brothers and sisters of color willing to have these conversations with us and, and don't expect you don't expect a for um, individual relationships that you have to to solve the problem. Um, it, It has to go beyond individual relationships to systemic action and don't expect or depend on our brothers and sisters of color to educate us on things that we could look do do the work on ourselves i i've seen um i'm seeing this happening now that um people of color are often asked again and again and again to share their pain and their history and their racial trauma for the sake of educating white people who don't don't know. And I, I just want you to know if, if you have a friend who can share those things with you, it is an amazing gift and recognize that. And there are lots of books and blogs and articles that you can read to learn about some of this without um, expecting the people in your, in your life to, to do all that work for you. There's a lot of work we need to do. Um, yeah, I think I could end it there. That's awesome. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you, Steve. And uh, I, P- Friends, listeners, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at podcasts at UALC.org. And we are so thankful that we got to have this conversation together today. And we just really appreciate you guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you very much. Special thanks to Mindy Erdman and Steve Turnbull. And thanks, Steve Gill, our sound engineer. If you have any questions or want to reach out, you can find us at podcasts at UALC.org. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.